Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you open them with me to John chapter 2. We will be looking at the first 12 verses. And it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. We're going to stop right there because on this Mother's Day I want us to consider how Jesus honored his mother at the wedding feast of Cana in Galilee. We'll look at all that this entails. I want to lay out the word of God. I want to see how Jesus fulfilled the law. But I want to talk about some aspects of modern day motherhood. But first let me lay out the scriptures and the context so that we have a good understanding and can draw the lessons and how they are appropriate in our lives. Because John, the apostle, was writing with one purpose in mind. He says in chapter 1, These have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So John writes to give us evidence that Jesus of Nazareth is Messiah. He is the Son of God, and that you may believe that, and that believing you may have life, eternal life, in his name. He has a purpose To give evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And he has an evangelistic purpose that you might believe. And then believing that you have eternal life. And then therefore then we go forward and take the gospel as well. So John's gospel is a collection of evidences 
concerning our Lord Jesus Christ, His deity and His humanity. That's what the whole setting is. So the whole purpose of the gospel is just to line up the supporting proofs of the deity of Jesus Christ. And let me give you a quick side note. John's gospel contains only eight of Jesus' miracles. They're called signs, and they're meant to confirm Jesus' deity. So each of the miraculous signs were different. No two were alike. And today we're only considering the first, the turning of water into wine. And there's no human way to explain how Jesus, this man who is God in the flesh. There's no way to to explain Jesus except to recognize His deity, except to recognize that He has to be God. That's all there is to it, because we would know that in John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, All things were created through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In other words, Jesus is the creator of all. So here we have a miracle in which the God-man creates wine out of Nothing, out of water. And this is the evidence that he is truly divine. The scripture leaves us no other explanation. There could be nothing else. That's John's mission. That is John's purpose in all of this. So that we would recognize that. Look at verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. I'm going to stop right there. This identifies probably something that's very significant and important because weddings were carefully planned in this day and age in the ancient family life and we are told it is the third day what does that mean why is the third day why is that important well in chapter one you have john the baptist coming on the scene and saying behold the lamb of god that takes away the sins of the world and then he tells his disciples you follow him You go follow him. And of course, in verse 49, we have Philip finding Nathanael. And Nathanael concluded when Philip told him about Jesus. And then when Jesus comes and speaks with Nathanael, he gives the idea that after we've examined you, Nathanael says, we see that you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. That's what he says in chapter 149. That's what John the Apostle says in the opening of this gospel. That's what John the Baptist was saying when he's showing. Here is the Lamb of God. And that's what all men would say. And now it's going to be proven to us in a miracle. In a miracle that happens at a wedding in Cana. It's the third day after that meeting with John the Baptist. After that meeting when the disciples start to follow him. And they turn and they begin to go. There were these five men. We know that these five men, remember... There's John, of course, and Peter, James, the brothers, Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel. And so they're, they're following, and as they're, of course, coming and talking among themselves, and remember, Nathaniel's hometown, according to John 21 too, is Cana of Galilee. These are all Galileans. Now, Cana is a village about nine miles away from Nazareth. It's a small village. The population of Nazareth was maybe, the best historians tell us, maybe 500. So we're not talking about a big metropolis by any means. Nazareth had about 500 people. Here is Cana, about nine miles away. And it's even a smaller population. 
it's got, you know, even fewer. I drive through sometimes little towns and all they are is uh, crossroads. And that's kind of what we might think of as Cana. A few dozen people. It's kind of a sort of gathering place for these agricultural folks that were in that region. It's a very, very small place. And that would make a wedding a huge event. I want you to get the setting here. I want you to understand. Because obviously the people from Nazareth would know those people in Cana. They would know who these people are. They farmed together. They lived nearby. And the people in the outlying areas would come to Nazareth when they needed to get certain things that could only be found in Nazareth. They couldn't find them in Cana. And it would also be true that if a town of Nazareth had about 500 or less people, they would know one another. If you were in that kind of a small agricultural community, you know your neighbors, you know their... And they've been there for generations. They're not mobile. They're not like we... Today we can get in our car and, you know, over to the coast, up to the mountains, wherever it might be. These people are not mobile that way. And they're not only friends, but many of them are family. They would be extended family, and maybe some of them extended into Canaan. So we're not surprised that Nathaniel would be invited to the wedding. Or the other disciples. We're not surprised that Mary would be there. Because she lived in, La- in Nazareth a long time. We're not surprised that the rest of these folks, all from Galilee, the other men that came with Jesus, that they would have been invited. Surely they would know the people in the wedding as well. So on the third day, there's a wedding in Cana of Galilee. This is significant, and it's a significant experience because the wedding, and although the wedding is important, but because what Jesus does at this wedding is really Amazing. And we're going to go through verse by verse. We're going to stay right here and and break this up. And I'll explain some of the importance even beyond the miracle itself. But let's break this down into four simple features. Here's first the party. Let's start with the party. It's a party that exceeds all of the other parties of the ancient life, of the ancient world in that town or village. It's a wedding. Now, I want to give you something to kind of think about. The fact that our Lord did his first miracle at a wedding emphasizes the sanctity of the covenant of marriage. Weddings matter. A public covenant matters. A ceremony matters. It always has. People are not married who just live together. And there, there's that saying, well, we live together, we're just, we're married. But people are married who make a public covenant and commitment before God and before people. That's what marriage is. And marriage is a condition of life that is designed by God. It's ordained by God. It's authenticated in an open and a public ceremony and covenant. It's the highest and noblest and best of all human relationships. No other human relationship is as wonderful as marriage. It is called in the Bible, the grace of life. I like that. Hi, let me interrupt for just a moment and update you with some information. You can now contact us at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com. We also now live stream services on landmarkstockton, all one word, dot com. Or you can see us on Facebook at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church of Stockton. 
We look forward to hearing from you. We would love to send you information. So thank you and back to our podcast. And what do I mean when I talk about common graces? What I mean is everyone can enjoy a beautiful sunset, seeing the splendor of God's creation, a good meal, good health, a good night's sleep. All of those things, falling in love, those are all common graces that everyone... But here is the epitome of the common graces. It's marriage. And it's the best gift that God can give to humanity in general without regard whether they know Him or not or in any way. Any society that honors marriage, any society that elevates marriage, that lifelong commitment openly is a society that will be blessed, is a society that will be enriched. It will prosper, it will be safe, it will be secure, it will know peace, it will have a minimum of crime. We've seen that throughout the years and there's been many studies along that, uh, along that line. But on the other hand, any society that fails to honor marriage as a covenant, an open covenant between a man and a woman for life, in which children are reared and cared for, and any society that diminishes marriage, fails to honor it, is corrupt. It's doomed to chaos, turmoil, evil, judgment. History bears that out as well. And when marriage for life is not honored, where the covenant vows between a man and a woman are not kept, immorality abounds. Delinquency overruns the culture. The fabric of society is shredded and de-escalates and is torn. But our Lord honored marriage by attending and doing His first miracle at a wedding. Jesus went to a wedding. His mother was there, not surprisingly. Again, how many generations of the family had lived in the little town of Nazareth? We just don't know. A few hundred people may have been there. And how well they would have known the folks that were just up the road. Their neighbors, those people around them. It's not surprising. They're likely related, cousins, extended family, close friends. And maybe Mary was there because she, of course, being a, a caring, godly woman, might have been there to help in the serving, might have been there to help oversee some things, just as her character as a godly woman is demonstrated. Remember at the time of Jesus' birth, we see that she was a godly woman. She probably had some kind of a role to play in this wedding that served because when there was a problem, what did she do? She brought the problem to Jesus. So this is a major event going on, and it's understandable that it lasted for days. Some writers and historians say that they would usually start in the middle of the week, and a wedding would go on for many days, sometimes lasting as much as seven days. And when people came to this celebration, they came because there had been a betrothal. Now, in biblical time, in, in the Bible times, when you were betrothed, that usually took about a year, and it was a legal binding covenant contract that was only broken by death. But marriage wasn't consummated until the end of the party. So even though they were uh, in a contract together, even though they were bound together, so what happens during this year of preparation? What happens during this year? Well, the husband, the man is preparing a place for his bride. He's getting somewhere ready. He has a house to, to build. He's, he's preparing a place. Maybe it's 
adding on to the parent, his parents' house. Maybe it's building something separate. Whatever it might be, the bridegroom had full responsibility of all of the cost of the wedding. And his job was to get everything ready. It was a year to get everything ready. And when everything was ready and the house was built and the house was furnished, all the preparations were made. And he had demonstrated to her parents that he was able to take care of their girl, their daughter, that he could provide for her. Then the party began. Then the wedding began. And it was a great celebration because he'd been working hard for a whole year. And she'd been waiting and preparing for this. And finally the time comes. And it's just an immense celebration. And Jesus is there as well with the other five disciples we know of at that time. And they're in the celebration. But I want to just stop right here and say this. There's something really beautiful about this because Jesus has been in Nazareth 30 years. In this little town. A few hundred people. He is about to step out into the world. And if you will, for 30 years of absolute obscure private life. By the way, you know, we only know of about eight days of Jesus' life prior to his public ministry. Prior to John. Prior to uh, the temptation and some of those things. We only know of eight days of Jesus' early life. So for 30 years, he has been living in obscurity. Now he's about to begin a public ministry. And the bridge from his private life to a public life is a miracle. That's a miracle for family and friends. It's a miracle that shows everybody. And we only remember, and let me just backtrack just a little bit. And let me just say, the Levitical priest started at age 20. And for five years, they had all the book learning. They had to know the Torah. They had to know all of the laws of the people. It took them five years of schooling. Now they had another five years of apprenticeship. So they were not considered a priest until age 30, if they successfully completed it. But now Jesus is at age 30, and he enters his priestly ministry. He enters and becomes our great high priest. He is now coming out into the public. Now, this didn't happen in Judea. This happened for his family and friends. They were the first ones who were to recognize what had never been demonstrated before, that he is creator God. We're going to look at that. It's a family and friends miracle, which makes it even more bizarre when you think about some months later, Jesus comes back to Nazareth, and he goes into the synagogue, and we see that in Luke chapter 4, and he is asked to read from the scripture and he reads from the book of Isaiah and he says, this day is this fulfilled in your ears that he is Messiah and he has come. And all he tells them that all of these prophecies are fulfilled and the people of the synagogue, and remember these are people he grew up in. These are people that he grew up with, their family, their friends, their people right there of his own congregation. And he does this miracle and now four months later, when he stands and he says, this day these scriptures are fulfilled, what do they do? They take him out to stone him. They want to murder him. How strange. What heart-heartedness. He begins his miracle ministry with friends and family and transitioning from obscurity of Nazareth into public ministry. And notice, by the way, Joseph isn't mentioned here. It's an important fact. As far as we know, Joseph has died. He's nowhere in this context. 
That means that during those silent years, sometime Joseph passed away. But there were people, according to John 6, 42, that knew Joseph and Mary, and that they knew the parents, because, but Joseph is likely dead. Otherwise, we know that at the cross, Mary is standing there, and Jesus, in John 19, as he's hanging on the cross, he commits his mother Mary into the care of John the Apostle, because she's a widow. That means that now John would have been the head of that household. Once Jesus, who had been the head of that household, who had took over for his father, but once his earthly father, Joseph, had died, Jesus, as the eldest son, would have taken the responsibility of the care for the family and for the widow. But let's get back to the wedding. The wedding was this great occasion. There's no other occasion like it in Jewish life. The celebration is in full swing. Everybody's having a wonderful time. That's the party. Now's the predicament. <laughs> Here's the problem. Verse 3. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. The wine ran out. That's the problem. When the wine ran out, a major catastrophe. I've laid all of the things that happen in a Jewish wedding out for you so that we could see how major this would be. That this man who had been preparing for a year, now all of a sudden, the wine is gone? Catastrophe. Social embarrassment. Because in everything he'd been taking care of, how could he have done this that they would run out of wine? He had to demonstrate his ability to take care of this girl, his wife, and now he's messed up. He, he's missed the mark. And this is what fathers who marry off their daughters fear, isn't it? They fear, is this guy going to be able to make a living? Is this guy going to be able to take care of you? Will he love you? Does he have any substance and character? It's the same issue here. The same thing here. They ran out of wine and the greatest celebration that they would ever have. And remember, life was tough. Life was hard. Labor was extreme. It was difficult in that world just to survive. And a celebration like this meant so much of the relief. And they ran out of wine. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at scl.com of ministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.